1: Welcome back to another episode of From Hostage to Hero. Today, we're talking about how to talk about money in Wadir. So the first question that comes up is Should I even talk about money? I mean, not in terms of, you know, we're here for money and can you give money and all those kinds of things. I think every Wadir, and especially PI cases and wrongful death, and I mean, all the things you guys are dealing with, should absolutely have a portion of your Wadir. I was just in Texas and now I've been training myself to say voir dire. Um, But we've all agreed that probably with jurors, we should just say jury selection. But uh, yes, definitely we should talk about money in Wadir. But what I'm uh, talking about more specifically is it should you uh, tell jurors the number that you're asking? So that's our first question, and we're going to cover that today. And um, I'll share with you some of my thoughts around that. But then once we've decided whether or not we're going to talk about the number, the question is, uh, in either case, whether you actually say the number or not, how do you help the jurors? really understand the idea between non-economic damages and economic damages. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. And we'll also talk about, the passions question, uh, which many of you have said, you know, sorry, why don't you like the passions question? You know, Don Keenan uses that to warm up the jury and and why do you think that's a problem? So we'll also cover that. So it's a very juicy episode for you today on money in voidier dire or voidire dire where you might be in, I think it's va wa, how do they say? Vordire. Vordire. There it is. I got it. Vordire. I'm becoming a true Texan. Uh, all right. So let's start by talking about whether or not you should actually say the number in Wadir. And here's here's my answer. I don't know. It really depends on the case. In general, I tend to lean toward yes, saying the number in Wadir. and I'll explain why I believe that in just a minute. But I don't want you to take that and say, well, sorry, Delamont says you should always say the number in Voidir. That is absolutely not true. And if I hear that coming out of your mouth, I'll slap you upside the head because that is not what I said. So don't take that and run with it. I lean toward that, unless the case um, doesn't merit that, and there's a few instances where it doesn't. And you know, there are there are many many trial attorneys who I really respect, Randy McGinn being one of them, who don't ever or very rarely say the number in voir dire. In fact, uh, what they'll do instead is they'll anchor a high number in voir dire, and then when they come back and ask for their number, it pa- pales in comparison; it's smaller. And that's a very effective strategy as well. For example, one of the things that Randy McGinn often does in Voidir is she asks if this was a case, and it's not, but if it was a case where a someone borrowed $10 million, now she says $10 million on purpose, knowing that her case, she's gonna be asking for 8 million, for example. So if, a, if someone borrowed $10 million from a bank, a company borrowed $10 million from a bank and refused to pay it back, would any of you have difficulty um, requiring that they pay the bank back the money that they owe? And of course, the majority of jurors say, no, I'd have no problem with that. In fact, I'd ask, I'd add interest to it. And she said, so if someone takes away something that's valued at $10 million, like in a personal injury case, and she may not say personal injury, I'm just saying that to you, what do you think the difference is? Why do we have such a hard time with that? And it opens up a great um, conversation. And of course, I'm not quoting her directly or even probably accurately. But the point being that it opens up, a she's done two things. It opens up a great conversation about why when something is so quote unquote cut and dry of you borrow 10 million, you owe 10 million versus someone's taken something away that's valued at 10 million and yet and that's where we, we struggle in society as jurors of oh, I don't know, should we give them that back? And she's also anchored the $10 million dollar number when she's going to actually come back and ask for $8 million. So, uh, you know, if you've been in the world for a while and you've read the books and attended the seminars, you know that everybody has a different viewpoint on whether you should ask uh, or say the actual number in wadir. Here's why I tend to lean toward it, and especially in cases that are very big numbers. Um, so, for example, I just worked a case, it hasn't gone to trial yet, but it will, where they're asking for hundred million million dollars and so we had three mock juries over a week as we prepared the case and got closer and shaped it and we'd do a mock jury and then we'd shape it again both our opening and what year and then we would have another jury and finally we ended with a third jury and and each time we learned something very very important but what I will say is that even though we weren't sure at the beginning of the week what if we would an actual trial ask or say the the, the number in Wadir. we decided that we would do it during the week just to see how the jury reacted and as you might imagine in every single case the jury freaked out they were like oh my god like and in fact in the third jury in the time that we had really gotten our messaging down pat the most one woman went she had an audible response she was like oh my god something like that when we said the number now here's what's interesting to keep in mind that in every of those three juries and yes they were mock jurors and they were from craigslist and so they may not represent exactly the um, demographic that we may get when we go into actual trial though we were in the actual jurisdiction these were actually people f- who could potentially be called as jurors in a case like that where i was at in every single case once they got over the initial shock the jurors once we got all the way through opening and I'm sorry through voir dire and then opening nearly every single juror and I'm talking about maybe one in each pool was on the fence but nearly every single juror said can you give more can we give more than 100 million and I'm going to walk you through how we got them there in just a minute but the reason I point that out is that I don't want you to take the initial reaction of the jurors in this case to $100 million as, an, as a negative thing. In fact, one of the reasons why I'm going to suggest, and again, every case is special. And so I don't want you taking anything I say and using it, again, as a formula. You know I'm the anti-formula person and saying this is the way to do it. All of these things are for you to consider in your own case, so that's my caveat here. But in general, when you have such a big number, like 100 million or 340 million, I'm thinking of Eric Penn's case, when you say it in Voidir, it's such a shocking number that the brain, you know that I read a lot on brain science, absolutely immediately starts to scramble for a reason. It says, okay, why, are they asking for this number? There's got to be a reason why they're asking for this number. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a minute because you may be thinking, well, they may not think that. In fact, this was the fear of the attorneys that I was working with this week. They may not think that at all. They may just totally shut down. And I said, absolutely, that's uh, that's an option. They may shut down, but not if we do wadir correctly, which means a couple of things. One, we didn't say that number at the very beginning. OK, had we said that number before we uh, created a rapport with the jury, before we got them involved in the case in terms of the principles in the case, and before we had even talked about why we were there, they absolutely would have stopped listening. But because we waited until the end or near the end, I would say pretty much clear near to the end, we had already established a relationship and a connection with jurors so that we had enough credibility to say that number. Now, was it still shocking? Yes. But immediately, because we had created the connection, and by the way, the creating the connection is all done nonverbally. That's the work that I do when I go and I work with trial teams, is I help them get purposeful in their nonverbal communication so that they're not doing things that inadvertently create separation between them and the jury. In fact, we do things that create connection, that create credibility, that communicate safety, so that by the time we get to the money question, so that, again, there's two... Two faces here. One is we're communicating non-verbally on purpose and doing some very strategic, purposeful things so that the jury feels connected to us. And second thing, we're waiting until the right time to bring up the money question. If those two things are there, meaning you've got credibility and connection, and you've waited until the right time, then once you say that big shocking number. The brain will start to look for a reason. That will not happen if you do it too soon and you have no connection or credibility with the juror. So that's what I want to be really clear about: is because we set the groundwork by doing wadir in a certain way and in a, and in a certain. Pattern. In fact, uh, this attorney that I work with was actually very resistant when we started putting the voir dire together at the beginning of the week, saying, This will never work. And then by the end of the week, he was like, Oh my God, I was so wrong about this because it's a very backwards, or, or I don't want to say backwards, but it's a very different way. Let's just put it that way of doing voidir. But now, as he saw why we were doing it the way we were doing it, and the result we were getting, he was absolutely sold on it. So, again, to get the brain to go into that, oh my God, there must be a reason for this number, you've got to have the credibility and you have to do it at the right time. So I just want to put that out as there's the two caveats to this. But going back to that idea of the brain, it starts to search its mental Rolodex and go, wait a minute, how is this? Now, in this case, we have three um, cyclists, two that were injured and in one, or, I'm sorry, two that died and one that was injured. And so immediately in all three juries, they started to think things like, or say things like, well, this is for three people, right? And there's kids, right? Now, notice that did not come from us. And we had talked about some of the players in the case earlier in Wadir, but they start doing the math now. Notice how that's different. If you decide to say the number in wadir and it's a big number, and so you break it up first. You say, well, there are six kids, and then there are two widows, and then we've got the surviving cyclists, and so that's you know, um, let's see, that's that's nine people now, and we're asking seven million for each and ten for you know, you're gonna want to do that, and I suggest you do do that in closing when you break the number down, but just even just check in with yourself right now as I'm doing that. It just sounds like a lot. You're just throwing out all these numbers and you're throwing out small numbers, by the way. When you throw out the big number without an explanation, the jurors start to create their own explanations. And the reason why that's so important is then they start to rally around the idea of why you might ask that number and start to justify it to themselves. And that is exactly what we want them to do. That's exactly what we want them to do. Now, don't think that they have to absolutely 100% be behind the number before you get into opening. Because remember, Wadir, even if you do my issue-oriented Wadir, we're talking about principles in the case and so on and so forth they still don't have all the, the facts. In fact, they, they hardly have any facts. So all we're wanting to do in voir is to get them at least open to the idea and, and say the number so that it becomes less shocking. And in fact, one of the things that I told the attorneys this week is keep saying the number. Once you said it, keep saying it. So for example, when he said $100 million, instead of saying, now who, how many people here are wondering why we're asking that number I want them to say now. How many of you are wondering why we're asking for a hundred million? Keep saying a hundred million over and over again to make it normal and normalized. And in fact, in this case, it absolutely is worth more than that. Um, and that's the second thing that we talk about uh, with your or with attorneys a lot in my work is: Do you believe that number in your tissue, in your heart of hearts? Because if you don't, then we can't do this. You know that I say. Body language begins in the brain. So if you are not totally 100% completely till the end of time, believe 100 million. In fact, you should be saying 100 million in your lives every day. Wake up in the morning and say 100 million. Make that number so freaking normal until it just rolls off your tongue because you know, it's interesting. One of the attorneys in this case came to me at the end of the week, and he said, "You know, the reason why I think I don't ask for the money now that I'm realizing it in Wadier is because I not have I haven't fully owned the number." And I said, "That totally makes sense to me." So I'm not saying that's always this, the case. That the reason you're not asking for money in Wadier, the actual amount, is because you're fearful. Uh, but I just c- would ask you to consider that option that might be one of the reasons. So again, if it's a huge number, like a hundred million, then I, in general, I'm going to suggest that you throw that out there systematically toward the end after you've built some credibility and connection uh, because the jurors automatically go into their mental Rolodex and try to figure it out, and that's a good thing. We want them doing that. We want them thinking through it. In fact, voir dire is all about the jurors owning the ideas, giving us the ideas, shaping the conversation with things that they say, working with their source material instead of us trying to come in and lecture them about what this case is about. All right, so that kind of answers the question of whether you should ask. It's definitely dependent on your case, but one of the reasons to ask is to make the number less shocking and to have them start to kind of figure out in their own brain why you might be asking that. All right, so that's the first thing. So the second thing we want to talk about is then once we've got that number out there, what are we going to do with it and how are we going to play with that and how are we going going to... get the jurors to understand why we're asking that number and why it is important for them to consider it as a real number that we're not actually asking for something and then really hoping for half and all the things that you know we're afraid of in in voidir. Well so here here comes the passions question. So before you throw that number out, uh you can and should do all of the issue-oriented Voidir. Money is separate from all that. So you've talked about all the principles in the case. You've got them rallying around different ideas, whatever your case is about. And now you've kind of got them all on the same page or many of them on the same page. People go, how do you get the jurors on the same page? Come on, sorry. Uh, Group dynamics, forming the group, create a culture. That culture starts to go one direction. They're pretty much all going that direction. Then you've got some outliers. Anyways, that's a whole other podcast. But once you've got them all rallied around your idea, Now is a place that you can use the passions question because here's the thing. The passions question doesn't work at the beginning as a quote unquote warm up question nor does the hobby question or all the other things you guys know I hate because the jurors are in issue mode, meaning there's two types of communication. You've been following the podcast. We're either tending to the relationship or dealing with an issue. You want them in the relationship bucket at beginning, but they're not there. They're in the issue bucket. They're wondering why the hell am I here and what do I have to do? If you attempt to create relationship at the beginning by asking what books they're reading or what their hobbies are, what their passions are, or whatever the hell else, you mismatch. You're trying to be in a relationship. They're an issue. Permission, if you had any in the first place, goes down. And remember, permission is how receptive someone is to you or your message. All right. So if you start with that question, that's what happens. But... If you've rallied them around the ideas, they've gotten to understand what the case is about. You've basically fed their need for issue. Once we get to the money question, you can start to prime the pump for, uh, uh, of course, non-economic damages by saying, now in this case, there are three people who um, have lost something very dear to them. Or you might say who loved to cycle and they were on the road that day doing something that they love. So, I'm wondering, what is something that you love and something that you value? Now, do you see what I've done there? First, I've connected it to the case, okay? So that makes sense to jurors why I'm asking. I'm just coming out of the gate and asking what their passions are. I'm saying, hey, in this case, one of the things you're going to have to decide is if what they valued is valuable basically, and that we as a society need to make up for that. Uh, first of all, that's why I'm saying this to them. But then it makes sense of now. I, I want to ask you about things that you value. And so, juror number seven, would you tell me, you know, how what you value? And it was so beautiful in the three juries this last juries this last week how we got some really wonderful stuff. Oh, what? people valued and why they valued it. And of course, family always came up. Family came up, family came up, family came up. And, you know, a lot of times people are going to say, well, you know, outside of family and faith, tell me what you value. Well, (laughs) I'm telling you the family piece is what really sold this case. Because after we prime the pump about all the things they value, we ask them things like. And what would that be like if you couldn't do that anymore, or that was no longer available to you? And they would say well, that was awful. Would that be awful? I just I don't know what I would do. So now they're in that mindset of losing something they value. Then we can go into the difference between price versus value. Now, this is something that John Coletti, inner circle member here in Portland, he and I worked up a case. And while we were working up the case, he went up and he spent a weekend with Paul Luvera, who we all know is a genius. And between the two of them, they came up with this, with this idea of price versus value. And it's, it's absolutely great. And I have his permission to share it. But when he talked about this, it was the difference between what something costs versus what something is valued at. So when we talk about, for example, economic damages, what we're talking about is price, right? What's the cost of getting this person back on their feet? What is the cost of the lost future uh, earning capacity? That, that is price, right? That's something that you can figure out on a calculator and and pull out a number and say, this is what it is. Check our math jurors. This is the price. But value is something absolutely different. And so one of the things that we do in jury selection now, in many cases that I, when I use this price versus value is we ask the jurors, you know, after we have a conversation about values, what's the difference between price versus value? Meaning what's the difference between something, what something costs versus the value that, you, that it has. And, and a very interesting discussion almost always happens is because the jurors just get that immediately. They go, well, they have nothing to do with each other. And we say, well, give me an example. What do you mean? Well, you know, I inherited this heirloom from my grandmother. I'm sure it doesn't cost very much, but boy, the value that it has for me is immense. If I lost it, I would just be devastated. And we say, great, give me some exa- other examples. And they'd say, well, you know, my family. (laughs) I can't put a price on that, but the value to me is astronomical. And you get them talking about the difference of price versus value. And so when you go and you talk about the difference between economic and non-economic damages, you say, listen, you're going to have to determine two types of damage here in this case, should you decide to be a juror on this case. And by the way, that's some language that I use because I really believe in giving jurors choice, which I will do another episode on When if you want to know more about that. I think it's a huge part in terms of why, dear. But we say... One is one type of damage is is the price it's in the price bucket and that's called the economic damages and that's things like and then you name the things I just named you know lost future earnings medical bills you know all the things and you say that's where you as jurors can take out a calculator and check our math we've got the numbers for you we've got experts to tell you how we came up with those numbers that's the easy one that's the price. But you're also going to have to determine another type of damage in this case. And that's the value of what was lost. And that, that, that is going to be a, a different way. You can't use your calculator here. Because that's what they want to do, don't they? They want to start doing some mathematical calculation. Well, maybe it's like three times the whatever. And that's where we start to get in trouble, isn't it? Because then our our verdict uh, number starts to come way down. And that's what we don't want them to do. We don't even want them to be in the same realm. One is price and one is value. Now, one way you can do this is you can say, let's say, for example, it's a wrongful death case. So you can say, can we all agree that money is not going to bring someone back? And of course, the holders, all of them raised their hand. You say, great. So in this case, though, you're going to put have to put a value on what was lost. Yes, you'll have the price and all the all those things. And I'm not talking about that now. That's over here. And you walk over to one side of the jury box. But over here, and you walk on the opposite side, is the value of what was lost. And so my question to you is, Should you decide to be a juror on this case, how are you going to go about doing that? Now, what happens here is silence. And I want you to be prepared for it because they don't know how to do that. And we do that on purpose. They don't know how to do it. So you want them thinking about how to do that. Now, we discussed this with the attorney this last week, and he kind of kept his eye contact on the jurors as this was happening. So it felt like a quiz If you want to throw it out to the jury and just have them thinking about it, you're going to want to turn your eye contact off and kind of slowly walk in front of the jury with your eyes kind of facing downward so that it's just kind of a pondering moment, okay? And then you might say, any ideas? And what will happen is if it's like the hundreds of juries that I've been a part of is they'll say, I wouldn't know how to do that. I don't know that you can do that. How do you decide what a life is worth? And once that comes up, how do you decide what a life is worth or it, lives are priceless or anything like that? Here's what you do. And you say, well, that's very, um, I'm so glad you said that. Because who does decide? Who does decide what a life is worth? And they are look at you confused and you say, you do. That's what our juror, jurors do in our society. They set the the value of what we as a community believe a life is worth particularly life in this case and the lives that these these men led in this case and boy is that ever a moment cuz the jurors just like kind of get that they're like whoa yeah and then you say so I got to ask you how are you going to go about doing that and now they recognize that they have the power to do it Right. And they still might say things like, well, I don't know. Are you going to help me? You say, absolutely. We are absolutely going to tell you about how we came up with the number. But here's what you have to understand is that we've been on a journey with these people for years now leading up to this trial. And so through that journey, and this is maybe where you throw the number out, we've decided that that number is 100 million dollars. Now, once you go on the jury with these people, you may decide on a different number. You may decide that it's lower or that it's higher, but that's going to be your journey with these people. Now, once you say that number, regardless of where you say it in this process, you now have to do something else. You have to confirm sanity. So watch the jury carefully. If you throw out $100 million or whatever now your number is, and they have a reaction, either verbally like, oh my God, or you just kind of see them stiffen up. That means they think the number is high, which they will, and that's fine. I don't want you to get all your panties in a lot about it. Just just notice. Now, if you see that, then you want to confirm sanity. You want to say, now that's a lot of money, isn't it? And they're, like, well, yeah. Tell me about that. And some people will say, well, gosh, that's just more money than I can ever even imagine. Yeah yeah what else and you get them talking to you and that's when you can either go into price versus value or we're going to tell you how we came up with this number and then you can go into some cause challenge stuff like now there's some people here who you know no matter what we show you so because that's the that's the thing where you want to go is where you say tell me about that you know what would you need to see to, to be able to even write that number on a, on a jury form at the end of this? What kinds of things would you want to see at trial? And it's so interesting when you ask that question because the jurors will be like, well, I guess I'd want to know what kind of people they were and if there's family involved and what they were. You know, just amazing things that you can now bring up both in your opening and throughout trial. I mean, they're giving you the way to win your case, people, and you're not asking this question. Now, what else would you like to see? To even consider, not to give, to consider allowing, not awarding, it's not a prize, this amount of money. And they start telling you these amazing things. And again, you get the jury to rally around that. You're not saying, I'm asking, will will you give me this? I'm asking, what would you need to see to even consider giving us this? And then you can go in for your cause challenges. Are there some people here who, it doesn't matter what we show you. You're like, there's nothing you could ever show me that I would ever consider giving that amount of money. And so on and so forth, you can go down your cause challenge there. This is how you deal with money and voir dear. I mean, all of this really takes one thing, and that is to not be scared. That's really what it is, is that you are so behind this number and you so believe this is the right number. In fact, people always ask me, what's the right number for this case after we work it up? And I said, the right number is the number you can own and not a penny higher and not a penny less. What is the number you can own? Because if you can own that, you'll get it. I absolutely believe this case is worth $100 million, the one I just worked on, if not more. And in fact, in opening, when he said the number again, he said, and the reason that we're asking you for $100 million is because I don't have the courage to ask you for what this case is really worth. Boy, did that hit the jurors in the gut. By the time we were done with the opening, nearly a whole panel, all three times, were in tears. That's how powerful this case was that I just worked on, and that's how much the jur- the uh, attorneys believed in it. And in every wadir, we asked for the money, and at, at the end of every jury selection, they asked, "Can we give more?" Look, this is all about. I can teach you about all the all of the little nuances and things like you know, saying you know, you're going to have to determine the millions, if not hundreds of millions, of moments. That were lost, right? We can say that number as many times as you can, right? There's little fun things we can do like that to continue to desensitize the jury to the number. But what this really comes down to is do you fucking own the number? Because if you do, and I just saw those last week, you'll get it. We got it with all these mock juries and I totally believe we're going to get it with the, the real jury in trial in a month. That's how you talk about Wadir, is that you own the the number and you're not scared of it and you're not scared to flush it out with the jury you're not scared to have them be scared of it because they will take care of themselves if the group is formed and that's a huge piece here and that's why a lot of people come out and do work with me because they want to learn the group dynamics piece because a lot of this cannot be done when you're doing your individual of dire and you are, you haven't formed a group and they aren't rallying around your ideas then all of what I've just said is moot It's all about the group dynamics. And yes, I know many of you are like, I can't come out. I need to learn more. Yes, the book is coming out. I'm sorry it's been delayed. We've been talking about the cover for for too long. And uh, once the book comes out, we've got a membership coming out in January where you'll be able to see me forming groups and teaching you how to do that. You're going to definitely want to be on that list to get in the membership. Um, We've got all that coming for you in the next four months. It's coming. It's coming. But until then, own your number. All righty. We'll talk later. Bye-bye.
0: That's it for this episode of From Hostage to Hero. But head to our website, sorrydlm.com, for other must-have resources from Sari Delamart. Read the transcript of this podcast, watch trial tip videos, or download your free copy of Sari's article, Why Jurors Hate the Hobby Question. We're glad you joined us today, and until next time, remember that to lead a hostage to freedom, you must first free yourself.